It's me. Did you miss me? Did you wonder where I'd gone? What do you mean, who am I? Welcome to the Trilogy of Terror podcast. Hello, it's Gore Blimey here, and welcome to the new Trilogy of Terror podcast. I know, I know, it's been a while. Life and other stuff has got in the way, and I've been off air a long time. You could say I've got a little behind. I wish I did, but apparently I have to do a lot more squats before I can get there. However, this time off has given me a chance to give the show a few tweaks, tucks and enhancements. New artwork for a start, thanks to the very lovely Graham at Jaws 19. And by the way, if you haven't checked them out, it's a YouTube show that talks about film, but it's especially worth looking at at the moment because they've recently produced their own short horror film. I'll put a link on the Facebook page. Another thing, the Trilogy of Terror podcast finally has its own webpage, trilogyofterrorpodcast.com. You can go there to find old and new episodes, contact information, and links to all the social media, like Facebook, Instagram, the show's own Twitter, as well as my own. I'll be having guests joining me more often, and while I'll still be looking at three films by the same director, I'll sometimes open it out to include films by the same actor or writer or other connections. I'm also planning some bonus episodes that will look specifically at short horror films. Myself and a guest will give you recommendations you can watch for free online, so you'll be able to look up some shorts and get cheap thrills. There are a couple of other things I'll be bringing in over the next few episodes, including a new Spot the Horror Movie type quiz, which you can join in with. But most of all, the changes will hopefully mean the episodes will be much easier to produce, so like it or not, you'll have the chance to see me getting them out more often. On to this episode, which will be looking at the main horror movies shown at the recent Celluloid Screams Film Festival in Sheffield. I had a chat with the lovely Boz from the Little Pod of Horrors and Obsessive Cinema Discourse, and we'll be giving our first impressions of the 17 feature films that were shown. It's a bit of a long one, so rather than expect you to take it all in in one go, I thought I'd ease you in by spreading the whole interview across two parts. One half now, and next time we'll get to grips with the other half, which can hopefully finish you off with a happy ending. Before that, here are a couple of promos for podcasts I love listening to and recommend you check out too. Hey everybody, this is Tim Dorn. My name is Gareth Evans. Hi, I'm Nacho Vigalondo, director of Time Crimes and Open Windows. Hey, this is Graham Skipper. Hola, soy Macarena Gomez. Hello, this is number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler. Yo, monkeys, it's me, DDP. And you are listening to The Little Pod of Horrors. Which, as you know, is the best damn idea since premarital sex on Halloween. Jason Voorhees! It'll make you come hard and that's not a bad thing that monkey is a good thing Bam!
You can find The Little Pot of Horrors on simplysyndicated.com and on iTunes. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. It's unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history doll popping up at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did be you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hi, I'm Steve Pemberton. And I'm Rishi Smith. And this is the Trilogy of Terror podcast. A local podcast for local people. Hello, Bosson. How are you? I'm champion. I've got some red wine and I'm hunkered down. <laughs> so, and you've got a hunk I'm, of what? I've hunkered down, sir. Oh, I thought you said you, you're a hunk or something like that. I, really? <laughs> Depends who you're talking to. <laughs> oh, so have you fully recovered from your weekend away? Yeah, it took a couple of days. I know yeah. that feeling, yes, yes. There wasn't much sleep to be had, was there? No, not a lot at all. No, definitely <laughs> not. And some of us like our beauty sleep. We're at that age where we need it. <laughs> so oh, so did you have a good weekend overall? Yeah, I'm very glad we came. Um, we unfortunately had to attend a funeral on the Friday. Um, so our, all, all my pre-planning and everything <laughs> sort of went out the window a little bit, but... Um, Managed to get the hotel reservation switched, and we basically started the day on Friday on in Bognor Regis and ended Ooh. it at quarter to midnight in Sheffield. So it was quite a long day. Blimey, what a day! Yeah, yeah. But that's right. You still had a good weekend despite all that, did you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Oh, that's good. That's good. I did wonder where you were because the first night I was sort of looking around, thinking. Where is he? Where is he? He's not come. He's let me down. <laughs> well, we wanted to catch Nightmare Cinema on... That was my optimistic plan, was to get there in time to sort of check into the hotel and then run quickly down to the showroom and watch that. Um, but that that screened at 11.40 and we drove in at 11.45. So I was oh, like, wow. That's, that's going to be pushing it. That's pushing it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, I mean... I, I've got to admit, I've missed a couple of the films anyway. Um, and mm. so hopefully between the two of us, if we talk about the, the 17, I think there were films this year, um, then hopefully we'll be able to plug any gaps, so to speak. So yep. uh, um, if we start going through them. Now, the first film of the festival, the opener, was Mandy. Now, you didn't see it on the night, but I think you've seen that elsewhere, haven't you? 
Yeah, I always have this. I think I mentioned it last time. You were kind enough to have me aboard. Um, that the Mayhem Festival and Celluloid Screens are a week apart normally, and I love them both. One's in Nottingham, one's in Sheffield. Can't afford to do all of it. Uh, but this year I managed to blag some work in Nottingham the weekend before, ah. and I went to just a couple of films. So I, I tried to play it clever, and I made sure that I went to see Mandy, being one of the ones I was going to miss at Celluloid. Right. Uh, unfortunately, they put it on quite late. <laughs> after a day's work. Mm, so mm. I've seen some of Mandy. Okay. I'm not saying that's for the best or not yet. We'll wait and see. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, okay then. Well, if we start off um, by this, as I said, this was the big opening of the, the festival. And the film opens, we've got Nicolas Cage, of course. Um, and it all opens up with him dealing with with his wood. This is obviously some kind of lumberjack or something like that. And ironically, I, I noticed the film was even produced by Elijah Wood, which is quite quite good, considering. And we also get a scene with the big chopper where they go home. So it all starts off with a promising start, actually. And yeah. um, it, it looked nice at the beginning, I thought. We got lots of reds and pinks and blue-coloured gels and filters, and there's lots of, um, you know, lovely imagery. And as well as all these colours, the character's even called red, which is interesting as well. So the look of the film, it started off, I thought, this is going to be interesting. We've got recurring themes that come up as well, visual ones, like flames and sort of flame colours I noticed came up a lot. So we've got like the campfire and the, the bed sheets and, and things like that are all got this kind of orangey campfire sort of colours. And there's a, a tiger motif that comes up as well. So yes. again, we've got this sort of colours. And, and there's a tiger called Lizzie, which I thought was quite funny for some reason. <laughs> it turns up later on. So, yeah, there's some lovely photography. We've got people walking through woods and it's all eerie and misty and there's some lovely lighting, really good stuff like that. And there's little touches that I noticed, like um, Mandy, who's the Nicolas Cage's partner or wife in this, is into mm -hmm. fantasy novels. So the film is divided into sort of chapters that have titles like Children of the New Dawn and, you know, it's interesting. I don't didn't really go anywhere but it's interesting and i yeah. did like the touch that uh, when she tells someone at one point where she lives it's at crystal lake i thought way <laughs> so um i was disappointed where i was <laughs> i kind of wished it was at crystal lake that would have been really good although there's quite a lot of slashes in this year's thing so maybe it's for the best <laughs> The character called Jeremiah turns up at one point, who is played by Linus Roach, who is the son of the actor who plays Ken Barlow in Coronation Street. Really? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and he was also, I mean, he came to notice, first of all, because he played the lead role in a 90s television film um, from Jimmy McGovern called Priest, about a gay priest know that one yeah that was about 94 he was in that and yeah i had a really big crush on him at the time i must say so i was absolutely right. delighted when he turned around and did a <laughs> full frontal in the middle of the film for no particular reason so thank you for that well i mean he was very pleased with himself wasn't he so uh, well i mean if i look like that especially he's older yeah. than me if i look like that i'd be probably you know <laughs> good yeah, for him he's too yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and i thought he was quite good actually he was a cult leader i thought he gave quite a good performance in it in this sort of sinister mm. kind of role yeah. um other things that came up which were sort of odd things where you have these kind of cenobite like monster things on quad bikes that are bathed in a, a red light. So that that was a bit strange when they appeared. I wasn't quite sure what to make of those. Did you realise what they were when you first saw those, if you were awake at that time? 
<laughs> well, <laughs> I, I got as far as their introduction, really. They were, they were summoned by a weird horn thing as well. So I was like, okay, this is... Uh, obviously, you say about the fantasy chapters, and I thought maybe this is a tie-in, but... Um, well, see, I thought you were talking about him doing his flash thing and the weird horn thing. I wonder what you, where you were going with that. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, so I... I I didn't get too far into questioning it because I did lose consciousness sort of not too long after that. So there was, I lacked the ability to piece any of this together. But I, from the strong colours, the gels, the filters, everything else, I was like, this is probably not going to be for me. Like, as soon as something looks or could be accused of looking Lynchian, I'm like, hmm. I thought the opposite because I thought to myself with the strong colours and that, first of all, I thought, oh, this is going to go in a kind of an art house way and it's going to be sort of very inspired by films like from Barva and Argento and they're going to do all the, the bright coloured gels and it's going to be like that. And, you know, mm. and that, that that's quite effective. And, you know, and you do wonder, you know, can you have enough of those sort of coloured gels? And the answer is yes, you can have <laughs> way too many of those. But uh, we'll come back to that. I was just going to say, a lot of it, I think, tied into the script as that started to unfold and the way people were talking to each other. And it was like, this is probably going to be on the wrong side of RT for me. That that, that was... Yeah. When you said un- unfold, do you mean unfold or unravel? <laughs> <laughs> Again, wasn't conscious long enough to make judgments. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we, we've got like a, a sort of a nighttime attack, which attacks um, Nicolas Cage and his uh, partner. And um, there's a very strange scene where they grab hold of Mandy, the, the partner and they hold up a giant fly thing sort of as i don't know what it is it's meant to be but it's like a giant bee or a fly or something to sting her and put mm. some drops in her in one of her eyes i don't know what that means i mean i'm sure if i was a, a film studies undergraduate i'd probably have a field day with this but i i didn't really get it there's some sort of 70s halo style effects and blurs and things but i was finding by this time this like primary coloured filters and the weird soundscape and that, I was actually finding it quite hard to get into it. Mm. It kept pulling me out of it. And this sort of dreamlike imagery was getting a bit confusing. Now, like I said, if you said to me that this is a film, a horror film, and it's got Nicolas Cage going full on over the top, grinning, manic performance, (laughs) I'd want to see that. And then if you showed me still images from the film, I'd be really impressed and I'd want to watch it. What you've got to remember is those still images are still, which means they feel like they move only slightly slower than the plot does itself. <laughs> um, it's a really, really slow film. I mean, mm. in fact, it really feels at points like it, they've deliberately slowed it down to half speed. You know, so I'm not really that surprised you fell asleep in it. <laughs> what are you saying about the dreamlike quality of it? Imagine, the, imagine you're actually half dreaming whilst trying to watch it i mean it yeah. was just so fucked up <laughs> well yeah you're probably having a better time than i was actually to be fair <laughs> <laughs> but you know the all these sort of color filters and everything were getting on my nerves by this time it was like oh for goodness sake forget the arty stuff and just get on with the story and um it, it's, it's almost as if someone had got hold of a box of these filters and they were absolutely determined to get their money's worth out of them you know they're <laughs> going to use them no matter what um to the point that there is a scene in the film and i, I don't really want to give too much away but there is a scene and it involves fire and it should have been a really disturbing moment in the film, but they filmed it in slow motion and it kind of took all the, all the sort of emotion out of it and the tension and 
yeah, it just didn't work for me. <laughs> I should have been horribly, horribly disturbed or whatever. But, but, but that was followed by Nicolas Cage in the tiniest pair of white pants I've ever seen in a bathroom scene with orange 70s wallpaper all over the place with a bottle of vodka going full cage and the audience laughing out loud. So, yes. you know, that's when things kind of picked up for me. What we, do you remember any of this? I saw that bit. Yeah. Uh, the, the tiger on his shirt was something else. Oh, well. yes, yes. It was full rage cage. It was what I went for. That's what I paid my money for. That was what I was sitting down waiting to see. Um, weirdly, much later on, I, I was clearly like spark out. At one point I woke up and Richard Brake was on screen. I was like, oh, there he is. And then I woke <laughs> up again and there was an actual tiger somewhere. And then I woke up again just in time for the shot of the movie where Nicolas Cage has got a face covered in blood. I don't know whose blood, where it came from, but he just turns, he's driving a car, turns and grins maniacally at the camera. And I'm like, that's the shot of the movie. I don't need to see anything else. And I woke up, opened my eyes, saw that and laughed my head off and fell asleep again. It's, it's a good job you laughed because in most cases, if you opened your eyes and saw that, you probably didn't get a heart attack or something. <laughs> but <laughs> it's yes. That, it's that maniacal <laughs> grin he does. It's just brilliant <laughs> there are i mean that's so the second half of it really does change it's a completely different film i mean the first half of it is just so so slow and very arty and very very painfully slow and then all of a sudden from this strange scene in the bathroom the action comes in you've still got some strange dialogue that comes in there's a there's a quote someone said about <laughs> they cut through bone like a fat kid through cake yes. it, who writes this stuff and um and there is a hilariously improbable scene where nicholas cage suddenly starts just out of the blue starts smelting molten metal and then hammering out a really over-the-top ornate axe weapon thing that any superhero would yes. be proud of <laughs> yeah that was awesome <laughs> it's like yeah just let's just go make one of these things <laughs> There's another, I mean, around this time as well, there's another scene which, I mean, this makes it sound really fun, but it really was slow. But there's a, there's a, one of these monster things watching porn, which I thought was quite funny. Mm -hmm. He's watching human porn and he's got this giant pointed monster willy thing. And there's a fight. And, and now I, I don't know what happened. I may have blinked and missed this bit, but there's a point in the fight where he has, it's, it's crutch right in front of Nicolas Cage's face. And I think he may have cut its thing off or something. I don't know. But all of a sudden, there's blood spurting all over his face. So it's like a sort of a, a blood facial, which I thought was quite... <laughs> I don't know if it was meant to be funny, but I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> Although they're not actually monsters, apparently. They are, from what I can remember, they're people that just had a, a dodgy batch of LSD. Oh, I see. Yeah, so that's apparently what it can do to you. So there you go. Don't oh. take drugs, kids. Yes. Right, and I want to see Gaspar Noé's climax. We'll know all about that. Yeah, so there you go. So, <laughs> but it's it's a weird film that doesn't kind of. It's hard to categorise. It doesn't seem to know what it is. I mean, is it a film about a cult? Is it about monsters? <laughs> is it an art house film or is it a comedy? I mean, it, I I'm not really sure. It was a real struggle to get through the first half of it for me. It was far mm. too slow and plodding. It was better in the second half with a bit more action, and it was way bonkers the second half. I mean, they, mm. they had a chainsaw fight scene at one point, and there's an eyeball pops out at one point. So, I mean, <laughs> the second half is much better, um, but it seems to be a bit of a Marmite film from what I've seen in the uh, reviews and stuff. Yeah. People either give it one out of ten, or they give it 10 out of 10. And there seems to be very little in between. Yeah. 
from uh, from Earwig in other people around at the festival, there didn't seem to be a lot of 10 out of 10s, I have to say. Mm. Um, most people came out thinking, what the hell was that? Um, <laughs> but it's got some good, good photography. Um, they overuse the colours a bit and the sounds are a bit weird. And they had some odd little touches like the fantasy novel chapter cards. And the, they had every now and again, it would turn into a cartoon for a couple of minutes. Oh, it's left with those bits then. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You did miss Definitely a lot. Definitely need to rewatch. No. no, 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 you don't. No. <laughs> um, and and I, I don't know about you. I didn't really feel any any sympathy towards him or Mandy or anything. I didn't really care. <laughs> I mean, it was two hours long, and I think I felt every minute of that. <laughs> oh right. Wow. I mean, it's really slow. It, it feels like I saw an hour of that. So I really was nodding. That's bad. I mean, in a way, it was good it was the first film because you were kind of more alert then to watch it. But uh, mm. I was disappointed because it was a film I'd sort of heard there was buzz about and lots of people seemed to like it. But when I watched it, I, I was kind of thinking, you know, oh, get on with it. So, I mean, is it something I, I'd watch again? Well, even with um, Linus Roach's tasty tidbit thing, no. <laughs> <laughs> Would I recommend it to anyone? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what, what about you? I, I have to reserve judgment because I've clearly missed way more of that movie than I thought I had. I, 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 it sounds to me like the second half may be way more for me than the first half was. Yeah, yeah. So if it was all like loony from that point on. Um, and also I love Richard Brake. I'm slightly biased there. So um, I sort of missed everything he had to do in that movie. Which one was he? I think he's the guy who owned the tiger, as far as I can oh, tell. Oh, right, okay. He is he is the Night King in Game of Thrones. Oh, that's why you were speaking a completely yeah. different language. I had no idea what you were talking about, and I've <laughs> never watched that, so I wouldn't know. So he's also uh, Doomhead in Rob Zombie's Thirty One, um, oh, right? Which I saw the UK premiere of, and he was actually there with his wife watching it with us. Oh, right. And afterwards, I went up and said, "Can I can I just get a picture with you, just to say I was brave enough to stand next to you?" And he just said, "I'm not that scary in real life." <laughs> Mm. And was he? He's a really nice guy. <laughs> he always plays an unhinged, dangerous nutter in everything he plays. <laughs> so. so, did you did you have a favourite scene out of that film? By the way, the the uh, the one we were just talking about. I saw I saw a flicker of the chainsaw fight, and I think that might end up being my favourite scene. But as, unfortunately, because it's like this hazy dreamscape of weirdness, um, <laughs> it's got to be just where he turns and looks at the camera with that grin. That is pretty good. Yeah, that is one of the best scenes. I'll tell you what my favourite scene is, um, the vomiting goblin. Did you see the vomiting goblin? No, missed that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> at one point, the, the, the character's watching a television advert for, it's like mac and cheese or something. Oh, and there's sorry, yes, a character yes, in it, it's like a, a goblin that just yes. vomits cheese. <laughs> that was the best <laughs> bit. <laughs> I love that bit. Make a film That's out of that. That's play in years to come, that is definitely. <laughs> so anyway, so that was the first film of the festival, which was the big opener. And I have to say, wasn't probably going to go into my top five. I was pretty sure about that on the the day. But one that I thought may stand a good chance because of the buzz and everything mm. is the Halloween uh, one, the big new Halloween film. Now then, I wasn't going to give away a lot about the plot in this one or any other. There's some very, very good little surprises to look out for. So I thought I'd mostly just talk about kind of feelings for it and things rather than the actual storyline, because a lot of people still haven't seen it. And I really would suggest people go and see it. Yeah, me, me being one of them. <laughs> so, <no> spoilers. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, 
it it has it, I like the idea that it it is done as a direct sequel to the original 1978 film and mm. it ignores the plots of all the other sequels and, and remakes and everything um, but having said that it does put lots of little references to them so it's worth looking out for them you know so oh, okay. and, and of course it has lots of references to its own you know the original film Mm. So, for example, when it starts off, you get the opening titles. They're in the same font and the same colour as the original film. And nice. they've got where the pumpkin is to the side. They've got a kind of a reverse film of a pumpkin that's kind of collapsing. So it looks like it's a pumpkin sort of reconstructing itself. And that's familiar music and stuff. So that's a good way mm. to start it. You feel like, yes, I'm in the right film, you know. Mm. And we've got um, very tense opening scenes where we've got podcasters, heaven forbid, podcasters. <laughs> I've got that everywhere, <laughs> God, aren't they? They're a nuisance. Um, Look, everywhere you turn. They decide to go and interview Michael Myers. <laughs> well, were they not celebrity podcasters? Because, like, this is the epidemic now. And excuse me, I'm going to take this opportunity to have a little rant. Because yeah. those of us who have been doing this 10 plus years, we thought podcasting is the area where uh, nobody can come up and make a little bit of a name for themselves, get a bit of an audience. And then the celebrities found it. And now every time I listen to a show that a celebrity does, who already has a massive reach, and they have a guest on who's another celebrity, and they're like, oh, you're so great. You should totally have your own podcast. Mm -hmm. Every time I hear that, I want to punch a hole through my stereo. <laughs> it's like, stop it, there's enough. Oh, you're not going to, there's so much danger of that happening on this one, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're the nearest I come to celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, they're, they're sort of journalist podcaster types and they decide to go and visit Michael Myers uh, where he's being held in this secure place. And um, they, they sort of refer to him as the animal in its captive state and, and all this. Now, interesting bit of trivia. We see him from behind, sort of in an outside yard, sort of chained to the floor kind of thing, standing in the yard. Mm. And he's played by Nick Castle, who was the same actor that played him 40 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I don't know if he's in every scene with him, but he certainly plays him in a lot of them. So I thought that was oh, quite a nice good. touch and, mm. and, you know, call back to the original. So Jamie Lee Curtis is back, of course. She's as Laurie Strode again, and she gives an amazing performance. I thought I really liked her performance in this. Mm. And I really liked the way they went because it's very interesting to see what happens to a final girl. So 40 yeah. years after she survived being stalked by a psycho killer. So she's going to have psychological scars and PTSD and... And an NRA card. Yeah, well... card. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it's going to affect her family and her relationships and all this kind of stuff. So it, it looks at all that stuff because normally, you know, they, they finish the film and then they're not really mentioned again. I liked all that side of things. The great scenes in it, some really good suspense. Like, for example, there's a scene in a, like a cubicle in a toilet where Michael Myers drops a handful of a bloody teeth over the door. And it's very simple, but that's really, really creepy. Mm. <laughs> and, um, and I like as well that he seems to have a sense of humour, which he did in the original as well. If you remember, he walked into the bedroom with a sheet over his head and a pair of glasses. Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm glad they've retained that. That's yeah, good. there is, there is a, there is a, away, didn't it? yeah, the sheet <laughs> sort of appears again. And there's another one where he makes his own version of a, Halloween jack-o'-lantern and things. So he obviously has a bit of a sense of humour. Um, but no, I mean, generally the rest of the film, it's got some fantastic photography in it, especially the nighttime stuff and that. There's a scene where they use mannequins. Um, you know, I mean, it's not the only film in the festival that has mannequins in it, but it's just something so simple can be so terrifying. It's also a film that's not afraid to use silence or just the sound of someone breathing, which right. is really, it really works well in building up tension. 
I like that device. It was very, you know, that was very effective. So, I mean, overall, I thought it was a really good trip back to slasher movies um, without feeling that it had to rely on irony or anything like that. It does, it does have some humour, but I think it's confident enough to be what it is. You know, no ridiculous twists, no celebrity star turns. It's a series mm. of creative kills. There's some jump scares. There's someone beating off a big scary man, um, which I, I know that sounds like a good weekend to me. I know. Um, it's a, it's a slasher movie and it's done well. And I liked it because of that. Awesome. I can't wait to see it. As that, I was going to say, has that convinced you more or less to go and see it? Yeah, because when I saw the first trailer, I um, purposely avoided the second trailer because I find they always give too much away with second trailers, and thus far I've managed to duck it. Um, yeah. The first one, I, I'm not the biggest Halloween fan in the world. Uh, I respect it for what it is, but I, I saw it far too late in my horror upbringing uh, for it to have much of an impact, unfortunately. I wish I'd seen it when I was way younger. So I don't dislike it, but I'm not I'm a super fan either. Um, so when the trailer came out, I was like, mm, nah, I don't know. So <laughs> I had low expectations. So I'm going to go in now with medium expectations and hopefully I'm going to enjoy it. So, yeah, it, it does what it says on the tin, really. It's a slasher film. It, yeah, I, I say if I were you, I'd give it a go. Yeah. So I, I completely enjoyed it. That is one of my top three of the weekend. Awesome. On to the next film. This is the next day. So were you here mm. for this one? No, sadly, hadn't arrived oh, yet. Oh, right, okay. But I have seen this movie, so that's helpful. Right, okay. This is What Keeps You Alive. Yeah. A lesbian couple celebrating their first wedding anniversary. They're going to stay at a big empty house by a lake where one of them, I think, grew up. And it's right out in the forest by this lake. And she says when they get there, she's I've got a confession to make. I think I love this place more than you. It's all romantic and cosy. There's relaxing by the log fire, drinking wine. And one of them plays the guitar and sings a song about having a demon inside. Um, <laughs> there, there's a sex scene, which is suddenly interrupted by a car pulling up outside. And the person in the car is a woman who recognises the one that grew up there from when she lived there but calls her by a different name. And things start to kind of, the story starts to happen from there. About half yeah. an hour in, the film gives you a real kind of punch in the gut shock, <laughs> really takes you by surprise, and then things really happen from then on. So it's yeah. another one where I'm really reluctant to say much about the story because you have mm. to go in. It's best to go in and not know very much about it at all. Yeah. It reminded me of those 90s psychological thrillers. You remember things like um, single white female sleeping oh, yeah. with the enemy. There was there was a lot of those around at that time. Um, it's got a good mystery to it. It's very tense. There's a brilliant dinner scene at one point, which has got some great dialogue in it. Mm. But there's also, I loved the camera work in it. They they really do a good job. They try all sorts of different things. So, like, at the beginning, when they're exploring the house, that they use, like, a handheld camera. Mm. There's a scene where there's a fight going on in an upstairs room, and it's filmed from the room below looking at the ceiling, which is yeah. really clever. So all you <laughs> see is sounds and bangs and bumps and things and the light fittings, you know, moving. And it's very cleverly done. Um, there's drone footage of like, there's some boats on the lake and things like that. There's a, a, a scene with, I don't know if you call it black light, 
where yeah. it shows up blood spatters mm -hmm. and there's a whole scene filmed using that which is weirdly weirdly beautiful to look mm -hmm. at but quite sinister as well um you get black and white flashbacks and lots of scenery outside so there's really good camera work going on in there that i i really enjoyed and the music's clever as well they do a thing with classical music and heavy rock sort of you know with the music yeah, there's it's the first of several films that uses motifs of animals. So we've got a mama bear and there's a black bird or a crow which come into this. And as I said, you'll see, you know, there's other films that use that later on. And mm. yes, there are some flaws in it. Uh, there's a little plot holes like, you know, and all this. And, and the biggest mystery to me was why are there tennis rackets on the wall? I couldn't work that out. Is that a decor thing? Do I, I don't know. I asked my American listeners, do you, do, is that normal? Do you, well, they were like put on the wall, like pictures or something, but they were just tennis rackets. I know I'm not really into sport. And if I did, I'd probably want to show them off. You know, a lot of people I think had a problem with the ending, but I, I actually quite liked it. I didn't mind the ending at all. So hmm. it was quite a good film, quite a good kind of a psychological thriller. I liked that one. And uh, I mean, shot on a shoestring budget as usual um oh yeah the, the writer director uh colin minihan is actually in a relationship with Brittany allen who plays one of the main characters oh, or right. arguably the main character yeah um they also collaborated on it stains the sands red i've um, heard of that yeah i haven't seen yeah, that but i've heard of i that. really enjoyed that movie it was it was a, a zombie movie with a difference and okay. again done on a shoestring budget with a tiny crew in the desert this time it was a 13 person crew mm. in the woods um and they just seem to consistently come out with pretty damn good movies for not too much money and it to me it sort of it shames the big hollywood movies mm. like, very often because it just shows if you've got a good story good performances and a good script you don't need all the money in the world um also britney allen uh, for the first time, she did the soundtrack for this movie, and she's never done it before. Okay, I, I'm one of those ignorant people, and I'm sorry if anybody works in soundtracking. But uh, if a soundtrack is good, I accept it as part of the movie. Yes. my brain never singles out the soundtrack unless it's jarring or yes. not very good or non-existent. Um, yes, I agree. The sign of a good soundtrack is that you don't notice it; it just mm. becomes part of the experience. Yeah. And so, so this was a bit of a weird one because I think it did that perfectly. But because we were told before the movie that she had done the soundtrack, I was actually listening out for it and paying uh. more attention than I would normally. And I was suitably impressed. So she's a very multi-talented lady and she's absolutely wonderful. Such a really nice person. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did well because it's a tiny cast as well. I think it was maybe four characters. Yeah, it was surprisingly good, actually. I was... Yeah, quite impressed with that. Yeah. There were a lot, actually. This year, it was difficult trying to narrow down at the end of it, trying to think what would be my top three films. And it was mm. very hard. I think I got it down to 10. And wow. then I couldn't really... It was really hard to pick which out of those 10 did I like better than the others because there were a lot that were all good and around the same sort of level. Mm. Anyway, next one to come up is Knife Plus Heart. And it's written as knife with a plus sign and then heart. Okay. Um, you've not seen this one? No, no, nothing about this film, actually. 
Well, this one's set in Paris in the late 70s, and it's set within the gay porn industry. And it has Vanessa Paradis, who plays Anne, who's a producer of these films, who's not long split up from a lesbian relationship with a woman who edits the films. Now, do you remember Vanessa Paradis? Uh, Joe La Taxi? Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> she was brilliant in this. I thought she did a really good performance in this. I loved her. Okay. Um, yeah, over here, she's best known for, she was um, a model for Chanel. She mm. was in a relationship with Johnny Depp for about 14 years. Oh, she's, yeah, yeah, she's known for having a gap in her front teeth. <laughs> and, uh, of course, for that that song in the 80s, Joe La Taxi. Yes. Yeah, so I love that song. I used to sing that all the time. I used to know all the words. It's very sad, but, yeah, I like that. That was on the first Now album I ever bought, that was. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so this film... There's times when it looks really cool and really stylish. So there's a scene near the beginning where you've got Anne, who's Vanessa, apparently. Anne, she's got like white hair, shiny black leather outfit and dark glasses. And she's walking through neon bathed streets at night. It looks really cool, but it's also quite sleazy, you know, with a gay porn aspect and things. And yeah. we've got a masked killer who's killing off her porn actors using, um, it's like a, a dildo with a built in flick knife that pops out Ooh, yes this is this sounds very jello is this is this done in a jello tone just about to say that exactly oh, <laughs> words no no absolutely no i'm really glad you said that because no exactly and i was going to say and it's got a bit of a convoluted plot as well so it's very jello i don't think it's i don't know if it's strictly a jello but it really felt mm. like that it's certainly an homage to it right you know so yes it, it all that's what i got from it as well and we've got, um, there are themes that go through it as well. You can sort of pick up. There's a theme of voyeurism going through it. And there's a motif of uh, like a blackbird, which, you know, like the last film we mentioned and another, mm. another thing about fire. I think there's also something about like imperfection or disfigurement that comes up because there's a few instances where there are characters that have something about them. You know, which, you know, so it's too, too much coincidence. There's got to be some kind of a theme going on. And, um, you get black and white flashbacks, which has also happened in other films. So mm. the other characters, we've got the porn stars themselves. They're a bit of a mix of gay for pay men that she's gone out and recruited from building sites and things and some very flamboyant camp gay men as well. And right. I loved, there's even a fat fluffer character that they call him la bouche d'or which means the golden mouth so you see now that job was never an option when i did careers at school <laughs> i might have had a better idea of what o levels i was going to be doing if i knew that but oh, anyway oh, oh. see what you did there <laughs> <laughs> but um the sort of weapon itself this sort of phallus thing with a pop-out blade it's absolutely horrific. It's really hard not to watch it without cringing and crossing your legs. Mm. It's really like, oh. Although she does use these kind of murders, even though it's, it's a bit sick, but she does use these murders to inspire her for a new film that they're going to do. And they call the new film Homocidal. <laughs> <laughs> That's so terrible. It's actually good. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, there's all sorts of other bits, strange bits and people, bits and pieces that come up in this. Um, it, it's essentially like a mystery thriller. There's some gory bits. There's some violent bits. There's really good performances from Vanessa Paradis herself. Mm -hmm. um, the only criticism is it went on a bit 
too long but then it could have been easily trimmed down a bit there's a there's a sequence where her character goes out to a cemetery in the woods and really that could have been cut right back but i mean that's mm. a small criticism because i i really loved it i mean i like giallo films anyway that um so i quite enjoyed it and i like the visuals and i love the sort of the the funny bits in it as well with the the actors and stuff so this is one i would go out and look for on blu-ray you know it's that mm. kind of thing cool. yeah so see what you missed oh well definitely that sounds like it's it's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the the final film on that night, which uh, which was quite a late showing, this one was Nightmare Cinema. Now this is um, a portmanteau horror film, an, an anthology basically, mm. with five short films, and they have a sort of um, what do they call it? Uh, a wraparound. I want. I always want to call it a reach around, but I think that's something very, very different. But I think yeah, it is. I think it probably is probably more interesting. But yeah, it's a it's a, <laughs> a wraparound story which is basically this is a mysterious empty cinema where there's a like a, a ticket office at the front but there's no one in it and the characters one by one come past this building and walk inside and when they get inside they sit down and a film starts and it has them as the main character in the film and it's usually something to do with their fears or something like that so it's a kind of um it's got a bit of a vault of horror tales of the crypt sort of a feel about mm. it you know i mean it's one of those sort of things you don't see that many of them around these days i mean you they they go back as far as um like night uh, uh what's it called dead of night in 1945 they were really popular in the 60s and 70s with the amicus films right. you don't get them much you get vhs those films sort of did it yeah and abc's abc's of death yeah uh, well, that's a bit like a intense version with about 20 with 26 well, of them yes. in it yes but <laughs> over the top but um anyway so yes it's five stories and it seems as though the five stories each take a different they all have a different director Mm. And they all have like a different subgenre of horror. So you have a slasher based one, um, a body horror based one. There's a possession based one. There's a Lynchian nightmare kind of one. And there's a ghost one. So I could put right. your name down for the Lynchian nightmare then by the sound of oh, things. Oh, yeah, certainly. Yeah, sign me up right away. <laughs> <laughs> Just briefly about each of them. The first one was directed by the same director as Juan of the Dead. Have you heard of that? Oh, I love that film. Oh, you're the oh, you're the first person I've mentioned it to that has actually heard of it. No, that's got to be my favourite zombie movie that nobody's ever heard of. I oh, love that film. Oh, <laughs> such a such an underrated film. Well, this is by far the best out of the five stories. I have to say, this one starts off as a, a fun slasher movie. And then it switches to a completely different genre sort of some way to a story. It's over the top gory. It's very tongue in cheek. It's very knowing. It's got mm. really good music. The fight choreography is great and the camera work and stuff. And they've really got the look and the feel of an 80s slasher film really well, you know. And that's the first section. And so that's you... the first section. And it is brilliant. And it has a real... They drop the ball then if they put that first. That sounds like should have been the one taking you out of it, really. Well, I, I liked it the best anyway, and it it, it has a sort of a, an ending that feels a bit Twilight Zoney, you know, the the right. original. So, but that that was brilliant. Second one, this is the one that's kind of a body horror type of thing. You've got a a young woman who's got a facial scar. She's very self conscious about it, but she's got this uh, loving boyfriend or fiance who says his mother's had some plastic surgery done, and she looks amazing. They've obviously got a lot of money in that, so he convinces her to go to the same surgeon, played by Richard Chamberlain. 
Remember Richard oh. Chamberlain of the Thorn Birds and things like that? He's like really reassuring and really friendly, but there's something, there's something a bit creepy about him. But anyway, he's the surgeon and everything. And as the story progresses, you get this uneasy feeling that something's not quite right. And mm-hmm. that builds up to terror. And it, it's kind of predictable, especially the sort of a shock bit at the end. But yeah. it's okay. It's not bad. You know, I, I thought it was all right. Okay. So as I'm not giving too much away about the stories of these because I, I I liked mm. this this anthology. Third one is set in a Catholic school, uh, which is kind of possessiony sort of a thing. There's a, a boy on the roof at the beginning who's frothing at the mouth, and when a nun tries to to save him, he falls to his death. We've got things in there like there's a priest that that's shagging a nun. There's a teacher and a daughter at the school. There's some bullying girls. There's a bit of demonic possession. And there's even a, somebody crawling like a spider sequence in it as well. Hmm. There's an unexpected twist at the end, but to be honest, it was screened really late. <laughs> so this was like <laughs> a midnighty kind of, you know, and um, yeah. I was struggling with this story. It's okay, but I'd say this is probably the weakest one. It's the one I struggled with most to stay awake through. So number four, nearly at the end of these, number four is filmed all in black and white. This was very sort of Lynchian. It's like a nightmare sort of situation. It's very a bit surreal and a bit weird. So imagine in black and white, quite stark, you've got a woman and her children in a waiting room waiting to see a doctor. And she's obviously got some sort of mental health issues. And it's her children who have been concerned and made her call the doctor. Hmm. Things sort of change as the story unfolds. They're waiting in this waiting room. Like the building starts to look like it's been burnt out or it's derelict. And the receptionist that, that's there starts to sort of change and become a bit disfigured as, as it goes on. And, um, huh. yeah. And because it's in black and white, it really, it really emphasizes this sort of creepy changing stuff. And it works really well in that sense. You get a really, nightmare feel about it is probably the most disturbing out of the five stories just wow. from the visuals you know so uh, it's not the best one but it it's very very just dis- it's the most disturbing one anyway okay and finally the last one starts off with a big organ in the cinema so yeah it sounded promising already <laughs> and there's a boy who gets onto the stage and he starts to play some bach on it and then the film starts behind him it's him what as he was hitting it with a stick Eh? He's playing some bark on Bark, bark. hitting the organ with a stick. I mean, this is a totally God. different movie now. <laughs> no, no. As I say, if the fireworks start going off in a minute, you'll hear some barking, I can tell you for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, no, no. So as he's plonking away on there, um, the film starts behind him and it starts playing some music. And it's him on stage uh, playing some music to an audience with his parents in the audience and everything. And later on, they leave and they're on the way home, but they're sort of carjacked. And the parents are shot and the boy tries to run away and he gets shot. And then he's sent to hospital to have an operation and he sees his mother who says, I'm with you and assumes that she's still alive. He's also told that the meds he's taken will make him dreamy. Now, I, I presume they mean hallucinating kind of dreamy rather than the sort of Ryan Reynolds in a bodysuit sort of dreamy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he meets another patient called Stacy and she tells him that he can see dead people because he's been briefly dead himself. And then she has as well because she's tried to kill herself and they form this sort of friendship and mm. his mother he sees his mother again and she says um she tells him be with me forever and um i mean there's nothing really new in this story there's a little bit of a twist on the sort of icy dead people trope it it's okay mm. but it's not really anything more and then it goes back to the the wraparound story and you know whatever so it goes back to that so so that's basically the sort of uh, anthology one i i overall i quite liked it i said there were some that were better than others but mm. um i mean even if you just see it for the first one it's worth it okay <laughs> you know because so the that, first person i asked about what did i miss it was like oh god it was terrible don't watch that movie so um <laughs> different responses as you i mean it's like yeah. i always say about horror everything's three stars for a reason because it's either a one or a five <laughs> yeah exactly i i liked it it was one that i enjoyed despite it being a bit uneven between the stories but uh no it, overall it was pretty good and the nice thing with those sort of things is when even when you're tired they're quite short you know because mm. if one story you watch is really boring you haven't got long to to wait for the next one yeah Anyway, speaking of which, the next story, the next film. <laughs> now, did you see this one? I think this was an early morning one. This is called The Crescent. I did, and it was our first film of the festival. Ah, oh, so you have fond memories of it, yes. This one, just a very, very brief thing. It's a, a woman who's been widowed recently. She's got a toddler son, and they go and stay in this really eccentric-looking house. The house is lovely. I love the house. Oh, it's yeah, really it's weird-looking. And mm. it's right on the seafront, and it's sort of within this little, tiny coastal community. And then sort of strange things happen. Mm. So now... Very slowly. Yeah. Now, now I was going <laughs> to say, I mean, I, I can enjoy a good film and I can certainly enjoy a bad film, so long as it entertains me. But for me, the worst thing a film can do is bore me. Mm. And I've got to be honest, this was unbelievably slow. <laughs> it was. I mean, I, I sat through for half an hour and decided nothing had happened. So mm. I got off and went and got some coffee because I needed that more than I needed to, because <laughs> I was really tired. And um, and I went and got a coffee and had a little look around the T-shirt stands and the books and things. And when I came back, I don't think a lot had happened, but I did struggle to figure out what was going on. I, I think the problem was less to do with me missing major plot points, but more to do with me, my mind drifting because I wasn't really at all interested. Well, it depends if you miss the little girl, because I, I kind of, there was a there was a point in this movie where everybody, everyone's really respectful of a movie when it first comes on. Let's give it a shot. Let's give it a chance. And there are people in every film sitting there going, I had a rather strong coffee for breakfast. I'm going to need the toilet quite soon. If the film is intense roller coaster ride, they will hold that pee until the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. If it's a bit dull, they'll get up and go for a piss. And at about the 30-minute mark, people just started popping up and going out. I thought, you know what? I kind of need the loo. I went to the yeah. toilet, I came back, and I missed the Basil Exposition moment, which is where one person in the entire movie talks about the plot of the movie. <laughs> so. Oh, I, I must I have been, because mine was about <laughs> half an hour into it. So, you know, you, yeah. we were both thinking the same things. Yeah, we both missed the little girl on the beach doing the Basil Exposition moment. Yeah. And didn't give that much, to be honest. And my wife managed to summarise it to me in one sentence. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I, I understand now. Yeah, yeah. It might have made an interesting short film, maybe. I don't know. But... Yeah, it, 
it does fall very much into the bracket of my the the film festival I'm dying to do the 60 minute little pot of horrors movie festival because mm. I think it's a 60 minute movie it would have had quite a lot going for it yeah probably yeah but it just took so long getting to all of them yeah I mean it looked good there was some really good stuff I loved the um the marbling thing hmm. it sounds really boring but no she did like this sort of marbling thing where you drip like oil paints, coloured paints into water, and then you swirl them around a little bit, and they make patterns and stuff. And then she'd put paper on top, and and there's even a scene where a person goes into it, and it's really yeah. impressive. It looks amazing, and the mm. house looks it's weird but really gorgeous. The house and the scenery and stuff, and they did stuff with drones. I liked what they did looking down on the waves. Do you know what yes. I mean? Mm. Yeah, because the sea was a character in this movie, and they did do a really good job of making that a point. They did, yeah. It, would, that, it looked really good. I mean, the acting was good. I, I was impressed that they got the child, because it was a very, very young child. They mm. they got them. They weren't staring at the camera and, you know, and all this. They they did it really well. I don't know how. No, I don't. Um, there was some imagery going on in it as well. We got the blackbirds again, which seemed to be a really common thread yes. through a lot of these films um and hermit crabs in this one which i mm. probably won't explain too much but i liked this thing about hermit crabs including a very very bizarre shock moment um <laughs> later mm. in which uh, you have to see to to believe and we got color filters coming up in this there's a creepy old man with long gray hair in it there's uh, but there's a general sort of feeling of eeriness and uneasiness which i think is partly from the landscape and partly there's things like you see people standing motionlessly and stuff so it's sort of haunting well the first time it was by the fourth time i was like oh come on well i, I looked at my notes because i was i was taking notes during this which i know it makes me quite sad and um especially as it was in pitch blackness and i was trying to write notes i could barely find the notepad let alone which line i'm on so and when i read it through the one i could make out was make it stop <laughs> I was getting really uncomfortable and fidgety and I just wanted it to stop. It's enough, enough. But well, that's funny because my, my comment towards the end of the movie was very similar in that it had the Lord of the Rings ending or like the third installment of Lord of the Rings, I should say, which is like, okay, fade to black. It's finished now. No, okay, back up, fade to black. And like by, by about the second fade to black, we're like, why won't you leave? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was a bit like that. I couldn't wait for it to end. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the good thing on it was that it did generate a lot of discussion outside. Mm. Everyone was very eager to express their views on it and stuff like this, <laughs> which was kind of good. And the other thing is I really did like she had this weird circular wicker dog bed thing that she slept in i want one of those that was really good i thought oh, i like those i don't know where that came from but i'll have to look that up so having survived through that probably by the fact that i got up and got a cup of coffee and had a walk around then come back again the next film is tigers are not afraid now yeah. this one at the end of each film, we all have to give like a little vote on what we thought about the film. And at mm. the end of the festival, they announce who wins the, the audience sort of award for the best film. Mm -hmm. This one apparently won it by a mile. You know, this one, everyone loved it. Bearing in mind, I had hardly any sleep the night before. I was in a very warm cinema and it's very dark. And I just watched one of the most boring films I'd ever seen. <laughs> 
the subtitles came on at the beginning, my eyes got heavy, and the next thing I know, it had the end credits. So I oh, missed no. the whole thing. And everyone was saying to me, it wasn't that good, wasn't that good. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, dear. That's, I mean, as tragic things go. I know, of I'm all just... the films. Oh, my I didn't God. sleep through the last one. If I had to die, I'd have a lovely sleep, and I'd have been well prepared for this. <laughs> I mean, all, all I know is just the synopsis that I've I gather is it's a, it's a Mexican film, and it's about a group of children. I think there are five of them, and they're trying to survive in like a really horrific, sort of violent um, situation, like drug wars and things like that. So, are you happy to sort of give your views on this one? Because I have no idea. <laughs> um, I, I mean. This could be in one way be fortuitous, because if there's one film on this entire program that I can completely nerd out on, it is this one. So I saw Tigers Are Not Afraid in February. Should I, should I go off and make a cup of tea or something? <laughs> you might get you to bored, it. sir. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Only joking. <laughs> yeah, we, we saw this in February at Fryfest, and it stole the show there. And it's been on the festival circuit for a really long time. And I've been like, come on, can we get a release? Because I want everyone to see this movie. Like, when this drops, I am going to be plugging the shit out of it because it's one of, not only is it an important movie, it is a fantastically made movie. Uh, it is amazingly touching. Um, it, it just has a bit of everything. And uh, we were really lucky because Isa Lopez, who uh, directed it, uh, she was at Glasgow and we went up at the end and my wife, I mean, like both times I've seen this when the, the, the second time I'm like, I'm going to be, I've seen this. Yeah. I'm going to be totally brave. And the film, the credits rolled again. And I'm like, God damn the dust in these cinemas. My eyes. Yeah. <laughs> it got me again. And I think it got me more the second time. It, it just grabs your heartstrings and gives them such a yank. And it's because it's based on shit that's happening and it's heartbreaking. So, it gives stats at the beginning of the film of the thousands of people who have gone unaccounted for in the Mexican barrios because of the cartel wars, the drug wars. And basically says there are no statistics for children that have gone missing or unaccounted for. So at the end of this, uh, in, in February, we had a Q&A with Issa Lopez and she sat down. She said, yeah, by the way, this film kind of I didn't go as far as I could have done. And it doesn't make things look as bad as they actually are. And we're like. Holy fuck. So, like, the, the Q&A at the end broke your heart more than the movie had just broken your heart. But the weird thing about the movie is it breaks your heart in a really good way. And you come out feeling sad, but, like, you've just seen something amazing. So it, it's a weird feeling. And I think that's why people love it so much. It's got this real fantasy element. I mean, she's always compared to... Guillermo del Toro and she actually says look in making this it was never intentional that I do like a guy ape Guillermo or anything that he's done but because she grew up with Guillermo's films and she identified with them so much as a horror fan as a director that it came out organically in her filmmaking process it just seeped into her movie and yeah, you know, people were telling her, oh, you must send this to Gilmo. She's like, I've tried. He won't look at it. And then finally he watched it. And like now they're like best buds. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah this film is fucking amazing. Um, excuse my French. I presume language is okay on your show. Sorry. Well, it is now. <laughs> this is what comes out. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry. No problem. I've got smelling salts here, so you're okay. <laughs> um, but like she talks about... She about the casting of the kids and like one of the girls came 
came in and she had like a background in traditional acting and I did this like interview with her and she came out like, I don't know if you ever watched a Spanish TV novella that, that, the acting is, por favor, mi corazón, you know, and all this kind of stuff. It's like completely over the top. Like, yeah, yeah. Just, just be normal. Just act normal. And like a couple of the boys in it are from the barrios. They've never acted in their lives. Oh, wow. They grew up in this shit and now they're in this movie. And the, the performance of the children is just unbelievable. And then mixing these fantasy elements and you've just got, I have not seen a film this year that will top this. This is my film of the year. It was in February. It still is now. If anything beats it before Christmas, I'm going to be so happy because it means someone else made a fucking amazing film. Mm. Um, and I should probably dial back now because I could just go on for about another 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, from what I gather, everyone is, you know, no one's had a bad thing to say about this film and everyone come out emotionally wrecked. Apart from me, yeah. who felt strangely refreshed and because <laughs> I just had good sleep, but um, <laughs> no, and it wasn't because I was bored at all. Absolutely, I make that make that mm. clear. No, I mean this is this is a film that I really want to try and track down. As far as I can tell, it's not available anywhere to get hold of, so I'm just going to have to kind of wait patiently. It's if I'd have heard about it before, I might have been a bit reluctant to watch it only because it mm. would sound quite harrowing and sad. And that sounds yeah. like mm, not my kind of thing, but no, I've heard so much good stuff about it that it sounds like it's a must see, you know, so yeah. I'm really gutted that I missed this of all of the films. I missed this one. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm going for you, sir. But oh. I mean, the good thing is, is that being that good that you will absolutely get a chance to see it because mm. obviously all these festivals we go to, um, you see films which you think are amazing. I saw one years ago, Real Live, it was called. Oh, yeah. It was shot in Spain, um, and it was like a Frankenstein-type tale that played a bit with time. It was about cryogenics and freezing yourself if, you, if you're ill. Oh, right. And it destroyed me. Like, me and my friend SJ, we were just, like, crying our eyes out at the end of this movie. It tugs all the heartstrings. It's beautifully made. I saw it two, over two years ago. I had not seen hide nor hair of it. So the good thing is Tigers is getting such a good reputation that it's going to get a release. And I believe she's been doing the festival circuit for so long, beating distributors off with a stick. Everyone wants this movie. So however we're going to get it, I think it absolutely deserves a cinema release. And now I've heard a rumor that's not going to happen. And I'm pretty furious about that. Mm. I know you've got to go with the dollars, but part of me is hoping what I heard is wrong. Hence, I'm not going to share it in case it is misinformation. But uh, like nationwide cinema release for this should be what it's getting. So hmm. fingers crossed that happens. I don't know. Is it a, strictly a horror film? I mean, I, I'm asking because I didn't see it. I, would you say it's horror? Yes. Okay. It's, it's horror fantasy. Um, there are some scenes in it that are really quite harrowing. Right, uh, right. And definitely uses strong horror tropes. Okay by mixing in the sweetness of the children and their relationships and the, it makes you laugh quite a lot. So it, it's touching and horrific and all in this amazing combination. And it's just pitch perfect. It, that's why it's such a good movie, in my opinion. This it's, it does remind me of, you know, you, you were saying about similarities with uh, Del Toro stuff, like yeah. Pan's Labyrinth and Devil's Backbone and that sort of mm. thing. And the way you're describing it makes me think of those. I mean, I don't know how close they are to it, but that does give me that sort of a bit of fantasy woven in with like quite, quite harrowing tragedy and children and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So it, it really does sound very intriguing. 
Yeah, I was I was trying to avoid the Pan's Labyrinth comparison, but now you brought it up. It, like tonally, yes, exactly that. You've got horrific stuff with really heartwarming stuff and a fantasy element that sort of takes you away from that. And you kind of look at it as how how would a child in that situation cope? Well, maybe a fantasy reality would help them through that. And I think that's what she's tried to examine, and she's done such a good job of it. Mm, mm. Can't say enough good things. <laughs> no, excellent. No, really, you've sold me on it. <laughs> the Trilogy of Terror podcast. Well, that's all for this episode. My thanks again to Boz for joining me, to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for the music, The Show Must Be Go, to Strange and Deadly for giving this podcast a home, and most of all, thank you, yes, you, for listening. I'll be back soon with the rest of my conversation with Boz about the celluloid screams roundup, but till then, take care. Bye. You can follow me on Twitter at IamGoreBlimey or visit the Trilogy of Terror podcast Facebook page. For other social media links, go to TrilogyOfTerrorPodcast.com where you'll find them all along with old and new episodes. 